Welcome to the Goal In Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Bruss, and I'm proud to be bringing you these stories of everyday heroes right here in Sydney, Australia. Now, if this is your first time listening to the Goal In Podcast, welcome. It's great to have you here, and I know you're going to draw some inspiration from today's guest. And if you're back for more, welcome back. It's great to have you here as well. Today on the show, our guest is Susie Lightfoot from susielightfoot.com. In the modern hyper-competitive world that we all live in, I believe that your personal brand is something that can set you apart and help you to be noticed and more relevant in your field of expertise. In fact, I believe that your positioning in a market is more important than in any time in history before, and that's because consumers have so much choice instantly with their mobile phones. Unless you stand out and stand for something, you'll blend into the crowd and gathering momentum will be much harder for you in your career and in your business. As you'll hear, Susie's an expert when it comes to branding and image, and she helps people to discover their brand and to get some momentum going. Susie's an international speaker, a brand ambassador, and a businesswoman, but like all successful people, it wasn't always this way. As you're listening to Susie's story, you'll find yourself asking if you would have done the same thing if that happened to you. It takes courage to commit and to go all in, especially when you have to back yourself and especially if you're going to leave your job and the security behind you and make your business work. This is an inspirational story that will help you stop wishing and start taking action and it will get you moving towards your goals. Remember, it's the start that stops most people, and sometimes all you need is a bit of motivation to help you to gather some momentum, and Susie brings that in spades for you today on this podcast. I'm excited she's here, so please help me in welcoming Susie Lightfoot. Well, good day, Susie. Welcome to the Goal In Podcast. I'm really super excited to have you here, and I can't wait for this show. Thank you, Rob. I'm super excited to be here also, so thank you for having me. No problems. All right, before we get into this go all in mindset and all the stuff that you do. I like to kick off all of these shows with a quick little get to know you quiz that kind of warms us up a little bit, calms the nerves down, <laughs> builds a little bit of rapport. And maybe, your your, <laughs> maybe your friends and family at home listening will learn something that they don't already know. It's pretty random in no particular order. Just tell me the first thing that comes to mind when I ask you the question. You're ready for the first one? I am. Fire bit, away. It's a bit of a loaded one. Do you prefer oh. yoga or Pilates? Yoga. Look at that, like, bang. I have done, I have done, <laughs> boom. Yeah, I have done Pilates a lot, but at this particular moment in time, I'm completely converted to yoga. All the way Just, over. Not I've, gone, I, I've gone all the way, absolutely. Probably because I've got a shoulder issue at the moment. So yoga is really fantastic. And also I'm finding the breathing and the meditation and the whole spiritual connection is really in line with what I'm about at the moment. So. I'm just enjoying that time out. Yeah, definitely yoga. Do you have a particular, is it a morning routine or an evening routine for you? No routine. <laughs> so I like it sometimes in the morning. It depends what class it is. So I more go with the type of class that is on during the day. And mm. if, you know, if I like that, then I'll book in with that. And it depends with my clients as well, obviously. How to go, hold the phone, got to go to yoga. Although I'd yeah. like to. <laughs> Maybe I can take that me. Could be an option. Yeah, could be, could be. <laughs> I'm a real morning person. I like to have the routine in the morning, try and, uh, you know, five, four thirty, five o'clock type rise, train, get it out of the way and then kind of kick off into my day. That's kind of why I asked whether it's a morning routine for you. Yeah. Well, when I was younger, I used to high dive at the Institute of Sport and it was really early in the morning. So we had to get up very early 
And I guess that has kind of caused me to want to have a bit of a later start. So, not getting you know, up before the sun. Not too late. Not too late. <laughs> I still get up, guys. <laughs> yeah. All right. Good one. Good one. Hey, we live in the best country in the world, right? There's no, absolutely no question about that. Do you prefer the beach or the bush? The beach. Yeah. Beach Are you near the beach where you live? No, but I do like a bit of glamping. I don't mind a bit of glamping. I have lived out in the country um, mm. in Brisbane and I just hated it because <laughs> it was just too isolating for me. I need to be able to just walk out my door and go down the road and have civilization nearby rather than having to get into my car all the time. I don't love driving. So mm. for me, being able to you know, just be in more of an urban setting and then going away to the beach is more my flavor. Even though I'm like so pale that I have to keep out of the sun and I don't really like wearing a swimsuit anymore, truth be told. <laughs> I think those swimsuit days are definitely over. So I just, yeah, I just love the beach and love taking the dog to the beach actually. So that's an incentive also. Beautifully said. I'm in your camp. Yeah, I like the beach more than the scrub. I was in the army for a long time and kind of took the fun out of camping. Yeah, I bet actually. <laughs> it's a different type of camping maybe glamping i've never been glamping would you believe it (laughs) my version of camping is lying on the ground in the mud with a gun oh my goodness in the rain well my idea of glamping is going to somewhere like south africa and getting one of those amazing you know tents that you stay in and and having someone to take you on a safari and that sort of thing i think that is on my bucket list for sure i I would take all of that so long as i don't have to carry (laughs) anything that's my actually you'd be You'd be the perfect person to go with because you'd have the gun. (laughs) Yeah, well, there you go. (laughs) Nice one, nice one. All right, what was your first car? It was a Datsun 120Y, little yellow (laughs) buttercup one. (laughs) Good old Datto 120Y, I think. (laughs) You either had one or your mum and dad either had one. My old (laughs) mum had one of those cars, I remember. Yeah, did the job, did the trick. That's it, drive it like you stole it. That's all that matters. It's the first car. (laughs) All right, do you prefer? Yeah, I was pretty good with the stick too back then. So oh, we're back in the day, kids can't do that these days anymore. Like, my kids learning to drive; they don't know how to drive a stick. Uh, I made my daughter Paris actually learn, and she burst into tears one day. Why are you getting me to do this? Oh. Nobody else has to. And I said, "Suck it up, sister. <laughs> no child of mine isn't going to be able to drive a stick. And you know, when you go overseas, you've got to be able to drive. You know, most of the higher cars." Mm. are manuals so and now she loves it and then she went and bought a new car and it's manual so go figure you can buy a new car that's manual what sort of car is it yes don't know if it was no it was like second hand yeah new car for her but second hand yeah. car yeah and it was manual so. uh, one of my sons has got his license the other one's learning at the moment and i took the mini out there and the mini's got a steptronic gearbox on it like a it's a bmw right not a mini and the gear shifters on the steering wheel. And I said to him, he'd never driven it before. It was kind of a bit of a novelty for him. And it's a fun little go-kart. You can go fast around the corners in it and stuff like that. And of course, I'm just the completely wrong person to be teaching him how to drive because I'm a hoon. Uh, you know, do as I say, not as I do type thing. And he's finally in the driver's seat of the car. I've been like wringing the neck out of for years. And I said to him, dude, are you going to drive it as a manual? And he's like, oh, no, 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 dad, no, no. Just let me, let me go first like that as well. So... I think I've got to get back down there and get him in there as the manual version. That'll be a bit of fun. Absolutely. He'll love it in the end. He will. He will. Excellent. Tell me, do you prefer the public speaking that you do or do you prefer the solitude of writing and doing that and getting all that creative juices flowing for yourself? Well, okay. Good question. (laughs) 
I do enjoy the public speaking, but I freak out every time that I have to do it. So I'm really hard on myself. I'm a bit of a perfectionist. So leading up to an event, I'm so eager to please and do well that I go in, all my family and friends are like, why do you do this? <laughs> you know, they say, you're so good at it, but you just stress yourself. So I do stress out, but I think it just comes from caring about the audience and really wanting to deliver, you know, something that is of value to them. And so I second guess my content. And, but once I get up there, it all goes away and I just engage with the audience and really feel their vibe and their energy and their presence and just go from there. So I think the lead up is worse than the actual event, which I, I do adore and love. So I would say probably I do like doing that. Writing content, I like doing that as well. But again, I have to really say to myself, Susie, you're not writing a book, you know, just drill it down, <laughs> tell people what they need to know. I think they're probably on a par, but the public speaking is just so much energy, you know, and it just fills the room and you get that real life engagement and connection with people. And that is a super buzz. Like, I just love that. Beautifully said. How do you get your nerves under control before you go on stage? Are you like a physical person? Do you visualize with your eyes closed or are you a breath person? What, what do you do to help yourself calm those nerves before I'm you get going? I'm definitely a breath person. So particularly since I do yoga. Yeah. <laughs> So I just really breathe and I've always learned that because um, throughout my career doing television and on stage work, I've always learned, you know, to slow your heartbeat down and to really just center yourself. You need to take those breaths. And I think it's like anything in life, especially as an athlete, you know, you need to be able to control those nerves and use them as positive energy as opposed to making them, you know, really hold yourself back. So for me, it's really important that I get control over those nerves so that I can channel it in the right direction and really just elevate my performance and connect with others. So yeah, I think that breathing is probably the key thing. But I also do practice, I have to say. I do try to get my key messaging so that it's important to others and that I'm you know, not talking, going off on a tangent all the time. <laughs> and I think it's important for keynote speakers to really know their content, but also to be able to deliver it in that really authentic way. So it's not, so that it's different every time, which is what I like to do. Yeah. Beautifully said. And some good it. advice in there. Good advice in there for some budding speakers that have got some nerves coming up on stage. It's, it's really good. I'm not so much of a breath person. I like to lean into that. I like the feeling of anxiety that you get from doing something like that because it's pretty hard to doctor that in any other part of it. I can't make myself get worked up about something like that before I get out on stage in front of a group of 200 people. There's nothing else that really feels like that in this world. And I just love like sitting in that feeling, oh, come on, man, you know, I can't get a hold of that. And yes. it's a bit sadistic maybe, but that's kind of what this is. It's totally sadistic. <laughs> what's wrong with you? <laughs> but I agree. Like when you get up there, it kind of all dissipates. Yeah, you know, it does. Once, once you open your, it's like the first time I ever spoken to a microphone, it's like getting those first words out. And I always teach people, you know, it, just say it, just do it. Once you do it and it's out there, it's not scary anymore. So, you know, most of the fear that we have in doing things like that and in general, as particularly women, they have so much fear about doing things and about being criticized and putting themselves out there that they just hold themselves back from actually succeeding. Mm. And it's, you know, come on, guys, come on, girl, you can get out there. You can do this. And all you have to do is make an effort and do it and not hold back. I do that when I've got something that I haven't done for the first time. There is that anxiety. And 
you know, it's just embracing that and going, just do it, girl, you know, just like diving off the tower. You know, if I could have stood up on that 10-metre tower forever and a day and never jumped off, but you had to take that leap of faith. And when you take that leap of faith, you know, everything else falls into place. And the exhilaration like you talk about is just the thing that really, you know, keeps you moving forward and keeps you from learning and challenging yourself, Mm -hmm. I think. Yeah, that's just beautifully said. I'm going to give you a little window into into my crazy psyche here in with the next question. As I was doing a little bit of research for this interview, I had a look at all your social feeds, of course. I saw your Instagram feed and I have to say, I, I saw a fast car in there. And Oh, yes, you did. Like there's, a, there's a BMW there. You got to do a photo shoot for something and you're tearing around a racetrack there. And Are you yeah. a bit of an adrenaline junkie? No, absolutely not. <laughs> but so, my partner is. So- and, and, it's, and it's always, yeah, I know, but no, I'm not. He says that I'm driving Miss Daisy and whenever we don't really have fights, but when we do, it's always in a car and it's always because he's driving like an absolute hoon, um, possibly like yourself. Yeah, probably. And I'm the designated navigator, which I absolutely hate because he hates getting lost like any male. And when we get lost, then I'm just like, and I was like, babe, can you just put the NatSav on, you know? Sat nav, sat nav, satellite, yeah. put the sat nav on and uh, direct yourself because, you know, the anxiety is just too much. <laughs> but for that, that photo sheet, yes, that was for a client who I'm um, all about creating images that are really authentic to the people in their industry. And I hate, one of my pet hates is these cookie cutter profile images that everybody has on their profile pictures and it's got a white background. <laughs> You know, and everyone's just there, you know, head and shoulders and doing the cheesy grin and it's like, ugh, like, you know, can you do something a little bit more showing your personality and who you are and what you're about and what you love? Mm -hmm. And that particular client actually was an insurance broker for racing car drivers. So her business was Mm -hmm. to insure racing car drivers and she's very caught up in that community and that way of life and she goes to the track and her partner is also a personal trainer for them. So that was the perfect shoot for her because she was in her environment. She just radiated confidence. She owned it because she knew she was in base that she loved. And for me, that is the ultimate profile picture that anybody can have. Yeah, you, might, you would have got some amazing photos. She's like in her element. Yeah, yeah, she was. And luckily I didn't take my partner along because he would have taken it for a spin. <laughs> for sure. Did you get to go around the track in the car? <laughs> no, I no, I didn't actually. But it was really windy day actually, so it wasn't the nicest day to shoot. Not ideal. So we really had to be sort of short and sharp with that, and it was the focus was on my client really. So we just made it all about her, and, and it was a wonderful result. So I'm glad you noticed it. Very nice, very nice. Well, the reason I noticed it was I had a question was like I thought there she is turning around a racetrack going. Nuts in the, in the beamer doing that. It'll kind of look fun. I kind of visualize you doing all of that and having fun with it. Have you, have you ever been skydiving? Yes, I have. have. I've got one. I've been asking that question for ages. And, and I think in like 50 podcasts, one person said yes. It was the best experience ever. And had I have been younger, I think I would have taken it up as a sport at the time. Mm-hmm. It was the most exhilarating feeling. And I did it in a time of my life when I was transitioning. So I had been divorced from my husband. I had my young daughter. I was starting out afresh on my own. And my brother and I actually went skydiving together. And honestly, it was insanely good. 
you know, it, <laughs> you know, it felt like actually when you go through water, so you've obviously skydived, right? Mm. Yeah, a so, couple hundred so, times, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's right. Okay, being in the army, you would have learned, right? Yeah. It's amazing the amount of control you seem to have and you don't really have that feeling of falling because there's nothing flying past you. So you kind of feel like you are flying. Mm. And I just loved it. I loved it. Just one time? Yeah, I just did it the one time. And then funnily enough, my daughter made murmurs about doing it when she, I think she did it for a 21st. And I was like, no, don't tell me if you're doing that. (laughs) And um, so she did do it. She didn't tell me she was doing it. And she jumped out and she had written on her palm, sorry, mum. So when they took the photo of her skydiving, she showed it to me and I was, sorry, mum. One really weird thing that happened to me while I was learning to skydive, actually, I think we all have this experience as, as part of the human experience is you might have been lying in bed in the evening at nighttime when you're first dozing off and going to sleep and you close your eyes and you feel yourself drifting off and you, and you wake up because you feel like you're falling. We've all had that experience. I don't even know what that is. There's probably something in your brain as you're switching off, right? I can remember uh, when I was learning to skydive, it was wintertime and we would go up to altitude, we'd be up at 10, 12,000 feet at some times, and you would jump out and you would jump through the clouds because they would drop us out on GPS. And as you're falling, you're quite right. You don't feel like you're falling through the sky or anything like that because it's abstract, it's weird, it's noisy. It's like it doesn't yeah. feel like you're falling. But as you approach the clouds, you suddenly realize how fast you're going. And the first couple of times I would tense up and be like, and you go through the clouds and it's like, oh, it's nothing. It's just like fog, right? And yeah. I can remember having these really vivid, weird dreams when during that particular time in my skydiving course where I would wake up in the middle of the night as I jumped out of a plane and I would be about to hit the clouds and I'd be like, <gasps> and be like right out of bed, like sitting up in bed. And I never had any like oh, wow. bad dreams or bad experiences like that in my life until I did that. And, and the same sort of heart pounding adrenaline rush that I got jumping out of a plane, I would like replicate in bed because it's all in my head, right? So, <laughs> incredible experience. <laughs> Luckily you were alone. <laughs> that was happening. It would have been really weird. I don't recall that bit. She's like, what no, are you sitting you- up for? And what- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Probably a snoring okay? on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Last question for the little get to know you quiz. What's the best piece of business advice that you've ever been given? Oh my gosh. Follow your instinct. Oh, that I've been given. Mm. Oh, the best piece of business advice I guess I have been given is to do your research. <laughs> I guess when you, because I've always been mostly in my own business and it's really important to make sure that you know your niche and you understand your market and you understand who you're talking to and to really research the people that you want to do business with so that you resonate with them and connect with them. And I think today that is really important for every business particularly in this new age economy where it's all about the internet. It's all so fast paced. There's so much competition out there Mm. that unless you really know your niche and who you're talking to and research your market, then you're not going to really make the impact that you desire and really get the success that you're looking for. So I believe that is the key to my success at least. And it was a really valuable piece of advice that at first I didn't quite understand what it meant because because some people would say, why are you limiting yourself to just that one market or why, you know, why are you just, why aren't you doing it for everybody? Because everybody needs personal branding, Susie. Mm. And I'd be like, well, that's okay. I just want to do it 
I just want to stick to my lane. I just want to do it. I resonate with women. I've been insecure. I've lacked confidence in my life and career. And I want to help women who feel the same way. And what happens is when you stick to what you know and you have a purpose and intention and you follow that and you really do research what those people want and their pain points, connect with them. And then you don't need everybody else because mm. there's a million people on the planet that are like that. And you just have to talk to that Agreed. one person and there's a million of them. Mm. So I think that is what I pass on to others as well and has really been something that took a lot for me to stick to it's so easy to go, oh, I'll just sell them something or I'll do something for them. And I think that has probably been one of the things that has really been a secret to my success and others that I know and trust as well and that I've worked with. Beautifully said. Thank you for sharing that. It's a very, very important quote that you've got. And I'm sure we'll use that in our show notes somewhere as well. So <laughs> well said, well said. Well, Susie, thanks for having a little bit of fun with me there on the front end of the show. Uh, people come on over to the Go All In podcast to learn more about others that have gone all in. So if you could, would you please share with us your biggest go all in story or stories and the lessons that you've learned from your commitment to success? Okay, I guess the biggest all in story that I that comes to mind is when I turned 50 and I was working for a company as a digital marketing manager. And around that time, I just felt that I needed to do something new. I was stuck in a rut. I felt that I was really invisible, actually. I felt like when I walked along the street, I'd lost my mojo. I was like, I just don't feel happy within myself. I'm not happy with my job. People around me in my job, you know, they weren't happy either. And the energy that I would get into day to day was really quite negative. But when you're 50, it's really hard to make a commitment to change direction and just go, yeah, okay, I'm just going to quit my job and mm. start afresh. It took me a couple of years actually to sort of work my mindset up to the stage where I felt like that athlete all those years before where I was like, stuff it, Susie, you can do this. You can do whatever you want to do. All you have to do is make a commitment to yourself and make that commitment and focus and move forward. So that's what I did one day. I just went to work and we were doing a bit of a review on what was coming up for the next year. And everything that I was suggesting was like, oh no, why would we do that? Why would we do that? And I was like, you know what? you don't actually don't really need me. How about, you know, how about I just finish up and you get someone outsource someone because quite, you know, someone could just do my job, you know, and I feel that the value that I'm giving is not untapped and I'm not really, you know, living up to my full potential. Mm. So we agreed that I would finished up a few weeks later and I went out and I felt this huge amount of relief lift <laughs> off my shoulders. As soon as I had made that commitment and decision, I was walking along the street and I rang my partner. I went, Hi, darling. And he's like, hi. And I said, I kind of sort of quit my job today. <laughs> and he was like, what? Wait, what? And I said, it's okay. It's okay. You know how I've been so unhappy. I'm going to be really, you know, this is a new beginning. This is a start of Susie being Susie again and really finding my mojo again, finding my confidence and finding that ability to do what I do best. And I think that's what everybody can do. So my aha moment was turning 50 and realizing, Susie, you have so much more value to offer. And as mature age people, it's so difficult as women, as you mature to really, we do lose that confidence because we feel like we're being marginalized in the workplace. Mm. And we often feel like we're not valued for who we are and all that we bring to the table because there's all these young guns coming up and that's fantastic. But, you know, to quit your job at 50 is like, well, where to from here for most people? And it's a really daunting proposition. But if you make that 
if you know in your intuitively that you're ready for something greater and you know and you've had that moment where you go, yes, this is my time to shine, then you just have to do it and take action because mm. years will go past and you may always regret that moment when you went, I can do this. So, I think yeah, story, I think that was my moment. Your story is so unbelievably relatable and you articulate <laughs> it beautifully. Thank you so much for sharing that because there's quite a bit of vulnerability in all of that as well because you know, you're know you talking about your age and that's a hard thing for a girl to say they turn 50 like that. And the, the other side of it is, it's like the phoenix rising from the ashes. <laughs> You've been suppressed for all this time. And I don't think there would be a, a single person on the planet, young or old, who has ever not felt like a caged lion in the job that they've been in. And when you're the caged lion and you're trying to input and then you just get beat down constantly like you're not valued, that's very demoralizing and it's very, very hard on one psyche. And no wonder you hate in life. No wonder you're hating in your job as well. But you said my favorite word in there the, the whole time, which is not said very often by a guest on this show, actually. It's the P word, the potential word. When I created the goal in podcast, just a little kind of evaluate to, to your story, I wanted to tell stories of other people's triumphs. So I never wanted it to be about me. And the phrase go all in is definitely not mine. It's been around forever. And I just kind of brought it into a brand and created a brand around it sort of thing. And I wanted to create a podcast about stories of things like that. And what I realized was, I think I must have been 20 episodes in, something like that. And I realized that when people go all in on something, what it means is they bring their future potential into the now because the word potential has a future connotation to it as if I could potentially do that. I could potentially do whatever the hell I want in this world. But when you make a commitment to go all in or you decide to commit to something, when you say that out aloud, the person that receives that there then realizes that, hey, this person's completely committed to it. I know they can do it. They've got incredible potential and they're doing it right now. And for anyone that's listening and that just heard Susie's story, you can do it. You can live up to your potential. And you can bring your potential into the now by going all in and committing, right? Absolutely. Well said. Yes, I totally agree. How long did it take to make the decision? Well, it actually took me, the actual decision was spontaneous in the end, but I had been thinking about it for a very long time. But that moment was my aha moment when I went, you know, sit. And the actual decision was easy. But leading up to that was a couple of years, actually. So I've been feeling like that for a long time but I couldn't figure out why I was feeling like that. I couldn't put my finger on it. Mm. And it wasn't until like a lot of women, what happens is we actually have a, a bit of an identity crisis, particularly as you mature, because we are mums and we are partners and we're in relationships. And when my daughter turned 18, she flew the coop. She got a scholarship to go and do law and she went, bye mum, I'm going to do that. And she lived on campus and off she went. And I was so excited. I was like, wow, <laughs> I've got my life back. This is awesome. <laughs> And then the next I'm almost like, there. Is it good? Yeah. Yeah. And then I was like, oh my God, I've got my life back. Uh, what am I, hell am I going to do with it? Because, you know, and I actually got anxiety. I'd go to sleep and I would feel anxious about my future because my identity as a mum and this whole role that I had had for 21 years or not 18 years at that time it was wrapped up in being a mum. And I was a single parent as well. So, mm -hmm. Harris and I had been 
together as a team since she was 12 months old. So by the time she left, I was like, this is awesome. I can do whatever I want. I can go out. I can, you know, have, you know, drinks after work, blah, blah, blah. But the fear was there because I actually didn't, part of me was lost and I didn't know who I was without that part. So I didn't know what was happening to me. I literally was getting anxiety and night sweats and stuff until I realized that it was the fear of the unknown and the fear of not knowing who I was anymore without my child 24 hours a day and understanding that I could be that vulnerable, high-spirited, energetic, all-in girl that I was when I was 21. Mm. And as we go through life, we lose a lot of that because we go through challenges and adversity and all those things. We get knocked around the head a bit, a few divorces and this and that, and maybe health issues. And so what happens is you just start to lose that little essence out of that go-getter personality. And when I realized that's when I was started my road to recovery and I started to do things every day that would challenge me and push me outside my comfort zone. So I'd get those little wins and feel good and go, oh yeah, that, that wasn't scary as I thought. I can do that. Oh, I might try this now. And then I'd go and try something else. And gradually I would build up that resilience to be able to, in that moment when all the stars aligned and I just had enough to go, Susie, this is your moment do it, girl, forget about the rest. You know, you've got this. Mm. And I think that is really the essence of just finding who you are and understanding your truth innately. That's the only way you'll live to your potential, I believe. Mm. Beautifully said, beautifully said. And transitions are hard. I kind of had a transition with my son who's now 18, but there's no transition quite yet like what you're describing. Although I think I can really relate to what you said a lot of people in the military tie their identity to their job. And I put my hand up and I was guilty of that. You know, I love being a paratrooper. I love being an infantry soldier. I love that. And I left too soon. I got out too early. I thought I was ready to get out, but I knew shortly after that I wasn't ready to get out because I'd turn the TV on and I'd see my mates in Iraq and I'd see them in Afghanistan. And I was, I felt like I kind of let them down a little bit because I got out too soon. And it took me, you know, people talk about transitioning from the military all the time. It's like, well, what are you talking about? What does that even mean? And it took me probably five or six years to transition because I got out five or six years too early and it took me a long time to discover who I was and what I stood for as an individual that didn't do that job because at the end of the day, it's just a job and yeah. you can't do it forever because yeah. it's just too That's hard on right. your body. But it's exactly the same thing, a little bit I'd try a little bit of this. I'd try a little bit of that. I'd try something like I didn't think I would like that, but I really liked that. And it was a really interesting time in my life to transition. Looking back, it was actually very difficult. It was very hard. I struggled a lot with that. And I think people could relate. I think as well, there's a couple of things there because you have such camaraderie in those Mm. situations and such, you know, you build up such connections and deep bonds with people. So there's that side of it that you leave behind. But then also, like you said, so many people wear their careers as their mask. And when you ask them who they are, like, who are you? That's the number one question on everybody's lips when they meet you for the first time, right? Who Mm. are you, Susie? What do you do? Mm. Then the initial thing is, you know, oh, I'm a personal brand expert or I'm a, you know, I'm in the army or I'm a lawyer. And for me, that doesn't really say who that person is. It's Mm. just the career that they do. It's a job. So, you know, when people ask me, who am I and what do I do? I say, like, I, I help women find their confidence. 
you know, I'm a confidence builder. That's what I do. And even if I'm not a personal brand expert, that's what I always want to be. So it doesn't matter what I do and what service my purpose is to build confidence in women so that they can achieve their goals and their dreams, not, mm. not tied to my profession. Yeah. That was a really interesting point. What you said is that you do tend to wear your career and hide behind that. Yeah, definitely. Definitely hiding behind it is accurate. It's an accurate description of what I absolutely did. I think a lot of people do that. I think men more so than women, maybe that's a generalization, but I just know more guys than I do girls like that. So that's sort of my generalization. I just shifting gears there, Susie, if someone was teetering on the edges of unhappiness in the workplace, like you described, and just not really fulfilled or satisfied with their life, but they haven't taken the leap yet, even though they feel like the caged tiger that they should take the leap, what would be the top two or three things that you would say to them to say, just freaking do it, go all in and go for it? Or would you be a little bit more articulate than me? Probably both. (laughs) I think that, yes, you have to go all in, but the first step is to stop and take a breath. A lot of time we get so caught up in our today to do list and trying to be successful and high performance and you know we've got jobs and careers and all of these things that we're juggling and families and lives and relationships that it's very hard to see through the clouds it's very hard to see what that vision is that you want because there's so much going on so the first thing is just to chill out you know take a break give yourself time to think about what really is important to you and stop and think about that. And when you know what's important to you, you can take the next step of figuring out, am I in that position now, currently, to give me what I want? What I'm doing now, is that success? You know, you might be working really long hours, but maybe you don't want to work really long hours. You might want to have more of a lifestyle. You might want to be a team leader, or you might not want to lead people. You might want to work on your own and be an entrepreneur or start your own business or something like that. But what is happiness to you? What does it look like? before you do anything. Then once you know that vision and you have that idea in your head, it's so much easier then to break it down into bite-sized goals so that you can start to set out a pathway to succeeding in that direction. So many of my clients, I mean, they're all, not all of them, but many, many, many women that I touch and teach every day are like that. And they say to me, I'm working really hard, but I'm just not getting the recognition. I'm not where I want to be. I'm being overlooked. I'm not getting where I want to go. I'm like, where do you want to go? And they're like, oh, I, don't I don't really know. know. And I'm like, well, figure that out. All right. <laughs> <laughs> <I don't> know. <laughs> you know? Not here. <laughs> yeah. Because you just take opportunities. What you do is you'll just take an opportunity when it comes and it feels like a win, right? Because yeah. it's an opportunity. And you go, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. I can do that. I've never said no pretty much to anything, but I'm really learning to say no. It can take you on a pathway for years in a direction you don't even want to go. And then you turn up and you're 50 like I did. And I go, wait a minute, how the hell did I get here? Mm. Because I'm not happy here. I mean, I've worked my way to get there, but I'm not happy. Yeah. So, you know, be careful what you wish for because you will get it if you work hard. But when you get there, you look around and go, ah, uh, yeah, nah, this actually isn't what I want. Yeah. Are you big on setting goals, Susie? Are you a big goal setter? Do you get your clients to do that? Is it something you do as well? Every client is different. Yes, I am a goal setter and I think they can be personal, professional goals, but I believe that more in a vision. I believe more in having a big picture and an end Mm. game Mm. so that when choices come along, you can make informed decisions about whether that's the right choice for you or whether in fact to say no to it and create another opportunity. I think sometimes people will take opportunities without realizing they may be able to 
not manipulate, but they may be able to leverage and maximize from that opportunity in a different way. Mm-hmm. And they may say no to an opportunity that they could in fact lead them on the right path. So I think that goal setting is very personal and you have to understand what your intention is. You need to understand what success looks to you and you need to understand what your big picture really is and then set goals based on that criteria, really, on that intention. I have a hard time with goals. I like the idea of a destination, of wanting to reach somewhere and wanting to be there by a certain thing, which is just another way to say it's a goal. But I kind of that goal word just, I don't know, it doesn't really resonate with me. And then the intention is that's where we're going. And I find myself not getting distracted by the shiny object if my intention is to go there and the shiny object is going to take me that way to the left or to the right of where I'm going, I just don't get distracted by it because my intent is always to track towards that destination no matter what I'm doing. And it kind of, I guess it's a form of goal setting. It's a way of doing it, but I don't sit there and write my goals, you know, three times a day and say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be this super successful podcaster and have all of these clients. And I don't, I, I don't know. I'm not like that. Some people are like obsessive about that stuff. I think it does help if you've got that type of mindset. I think it helps to have goals and break them down. I mean, again, it's like being an athlete, right? So if you've got to do a, a reverse two and a half off 10 meter, you're not going to go up and do the dive the first time on the first go. Yeah, of course not. Yeah. You know, you have to start on the side of the pool and you do that. And then you have to go to the one meter, then you go to three meter, five meter, 7.5. And then eventually when you've really, you know, built up the technique and your confidence, then you can climb the tower to the 10 meter and you can do the dive off the 10 meter after all that time. And I think goal setting is the same. Mm. So the intention is to go up and do the reverse two and a half, but the milestones that you do along the way are the things that build your confidence, your resilience, your focus, your experience and your expertise. So that by the time you are ready to take that leap, you know, you've done all the work and the goal, it will happen. So I think, yeah, just depends on the size. I mean, there's goals that you do every day. I mean, I have, I goal set, I've got to go to yoga. You know, that's a little one. Um, but my big, but my intention, intention. My intention by, yeah, my intention by going to yoga is to actually elevate my thought and fix my shoulder. Yeah. So, I always try to have, you know, a bigger picture, I guess, even on a little thing. Maybe yeah, I'm nicely said, nicely said. <laughs> I want to shift gears here as we come towards the back half of the podcast and talk about personal branding because you're an expert at that. And for me, as for the people that are regular listeners, you would know that I also have a digital marketing agency and that has changed radically in the last two years. And, you know, I've been doing this for 12 years now in the digital space. And in the last two years, I've seen the world change so unbelievably, so much. And I think I just notice it because... I'm in it on a daily basis and I have people asking me all sorts of questions and wanting all sorts of things. And I've just, I'm interacting with people that need stuff. The one thing that I've noticed, and I've said it a couple of times on a few recent podcasts is the thing that's changed the most in the last two years. And people do ask this all the time, what's changed and where's it going? And I want to address the what's changed thing and then segue into you with the personal branding is there's only two things that you can control in digital anymore. One and two things, that's it. Everything else that you do in digital marketing and advertising is subjected to an algorithm of some sort. And that algorithm's owned by this huge, giant, monolithic company whose sole purpose for existing is money. Your money, they don't really care about your advertising and marketing message. What they want is they want your money and get people to click so they get paid. So anything that you do from a digital perspective, if it's subjected to an algorithm and a bigger company and some other third party, 
how do you control your message? And that's where I come back to these two things. The only things that you can control are your email list and what you say in your email list. That's never subjected to an algorithm. No one can change that. Whether your inbox or not is determined by what your headlines are, what your subject lines are and the technology you use, but that's not an algorithm. The second thing that you can control is your podcast or your appearance on a podcast because you're never censored and nobody can ever censor you except the podcaster who's not going to do that because that's why they're having you on the show. So Good to know. I really, I, I won't edit it, I promise. <laughs> I, I really believe that in this modern world, if you can't control anything like that, it becomes more important than ever to create your own personal brand. Whether you're an employee or you're an entrepreneur or you're a business owner, whatever it is that you're doing, I think that is so unbelievably critical to create that right now, to be able to carry that forward into your, in your life and in your career and in your business for the next 20 or 30 years of your working life. If you're not creating that now or you're not working on that now, the minute you down tools on the job that you're in or the business that you're in and you go somewhere else after you have a little break and consolidate and you pick up tools again and start working again, you're going from a standing start of zero. And if you don't bring that audience that you've established right now with you into the next thing that you go and do, then you're constantly going to be starting again in your life. And the personal branding that we have today is stronger than ever. And I'd love to hand over to you there, Susie, and, and let you get on your kind of soapbox and give us your version of it. That's kind of my version of it. I, for, for me, you know, people ask me all the time, hey, Rob, how did, how did you get your podcast as big as it is? How did you get so many guests? How do you, how do, you do it? And it's like, you know what? I, I went out there and I branded myself as the go-all-in guy. And I went, on, I went on literally 50 or 60 other podcasts and told people about what I was doing and I brought an audience back with me. And now no matter what I do in my life, I'm able to take that audience with me and that audience will follow me around. That big giant email list that I've got, that's mine. I built that. It's coming with me. And no matter what business, no matter what product or service I have, I get that to take that with me. And essentially what that's done for me in my life is it's detached me from a location. So I'm not fixed to being in one location or another. It doesn't matter if I'm on the Gold Coast, I'm in Melbourne with you, or I'm on the other side of the planet. I can still sit at a microphone, do exactly the same thing and still make money. It's a really interesting proposition. So, you know, I'm a big, big advocate for what you teach and, and I'm sure you've got something to, to say on all of that. I think there's a couple of things. There is the people that want a public profile they can profit from and that's a, that's a certain type of personal branding. So it's about really creating that connection online and being able to have, you know, a, a connection with people in a virtual community. And it's really hard to do that, like you say, because you don't have a lot of control over it. Of what really people, how people, what people think of you, but you can control their perception. So you can basically build a brand online and a public profile that you can profit from through creating something that is genuine and authentic to you and also making it a deeper level. So many businesses and companies just have the one shop front and it's one layered. By building deeper layers and letting a little bit more of yourself through and your personality and what you believe in and your visions and your values and all of those things, will start to attract like-minded communities. And I think that goes way back to what I discussed earlier in the podcast about knowing your niche and knowing your market and really just talking to them and being you and talking to them because not everybody has to like you and not everybody is going to like you, particularly in a digital online sense. Mm. So it's more about just sticking to your lane and really being truthful and honest to who you are, keeping your integrity around that. And people will gravitate. People who like your message and like you 
will will start to know, like, and trust you more by you giving more of yourself in that online situation. And I think on the flip side, for those people who aren't interested on being online and they're not interested in creating a public profile, that's fine too because you still have a personal brand. So my brand started when I was 19 years old and we didn't even have the internet. But I've been building my personal brand for 35 years and it would be the single most important asset in my entire life that has enabled me to really springboard from all my different industries with success because my reputation and my successes as well as my failures have shown people who I am and what I've made of. And so my personal brand equity or my value has built up all over this time and has nothing to do with the internet. It's had everything to do with my relationships, my networks, how I communicate, how I you know, use and leverage that to be able to give to others and to articulate it to others. So instead of just saying I'm a lawyer, you know, to be able to say, you know, I'm actually a really fantastic communicator and I, and I can help people to in their relationships and I can connect people with other people. That's one of my strengths. Those are the sort of soft skills in your personal brand, mm. which really are the most valuable because anybody can go to law and, and, and be a lawyer. Like people can go and study and be a lawyer, but what makes you different? And I think that is the other side of personal branding, apart from the public profile, is what the everyday person can do to be extraordinary. And they can do that by delving into things that happen in their life, like you talked about earlier, the lessons they've learned and how they share those insights with others and how they apply that to the way they do business uniquely so that you stand out from your competitors. And that's your personal brand. That's your secret source. They're your superpowers. And everybody has them. So I think for me, it's twofold. And if you want to make a business out of your personal brand, then you have to then, if you want a public profile, then you have to put yourself out there. But you don't have to be on every platform. Just choose the platforms you like to be on and, and just stay in, that, and stay in that lane. And like you said, build your list and build your networks on a different level. Yeah. Well, well said. And, and you said superpowers there. I'm so unbelievably lucky in this podcast to meet incredible people like you. And each and every person has these amazing stories. And sometimes it's health related, a career transition, a relationship. Everyone has these trials and tribulations. And it always makes me think, man, I, I don't think I would have been able to handle myself with such grace or such dignity. And everybody really does have a superpower of some description and it's a bit of a throwaway thing and it's a it's a bit cliche as well almost really when you hear you know you're so good at that you're really good at that and most people are like yeah whatever not they don't really take that kind of praise very well but the reality is everybody has that and and that forms part of your personal brand and, and that's something that you should kind of embrace and and leverage and and use to further your profile Absolutely. what would what would you say Susie to somebody that I mean, everybody, people come to this podcast, they want to hear a goal in story, but they love a good hack as well. And I kind of like a good hack as well. What would you say that people could work on like right now, today, after they've finished listening to this podcast in five or 10 minutes when it's finished, what could they work on to help and begin building their influence? Okay. I think first up in a professional sense, because obviously, yeah, you know, absolutely. I work with professionals. Yep. So one of the most underutilized platforms by most professionals is LinkedIn. <laughs> and 
it is really one of, it's like having a mini website. So if you don't do anything else and you're not on any other platform and you want to craft authority and credibility in your industry, the quickest and fastest way to do it is to really utilize that platform and start to publish and post on LinkedIn, fill out your, your profile effectively. There's a heap of real estate on that site where you can put cover images, quotes, mm. you can put your CV on there, you can have you know, your profile image, you can publish articles, you can connect with people and communities and do all of this in a professional landscape. And it's the number one platform for professionals globally. And I think, you know, if you're not on it and you're not utilizing it and you're whinging and, and moaning about not being able to be heard or getting the recognition you desire, you know, really that's the number quickest and easiest way that anyone can get an online, uh, an online profile and start to build your brand from that. You know, it's right, right there on your fingertips. That would be, and I always say, you know, just do it. It's not rocket science, but, you know, make sure you, it's current and up to date. So when someone Googles your name, there's no blank space, you know, there's a face there that they can connect with and a whole lot of information. They can see the conversations that you're having and the engagement that you're having. And, you know, it's really an underutilized platform for most professionals, I would say. Yeah, that's, uh, I was actually, as I was asking the question, I was secretly hoping that you'd say LinkedIn. Were you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, you know, I, I would echo everything you said and then, and then times 10 because for me and this podcast and, and the goal in brand and, and my other businesses that I have, it's been absolutely instrumental. And I would definitely not be where I am today without LinkedIn. I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you without LinkedIn. And Fantastic. I get to meet incredible guests like that. It's just an, an absolute privilege to do that. So don't discount the simplicity of it either because what you're saying is really easy to do and people are always looking for a really complicated solution, but the reality is it doesn't have to be complicated. All you've got to do is exactly what Susie just mentioned is get in there, start engaging, start commenting, start getting in some groups and build your network. You know, make focus in on, on reaching out to, to five or 10 new people per day and ask them how you can help them and ask them how, how they can help you. And before you know it, you'll start to, to generate a network. You'll, you'll build a following. You'll make some new friends as well. It's kind of fun. It is fun. And I think too, like a lot of people have a fear around it though. And I'm not sure what that is, Rob, but you know, once they start to write things and it's on the internet, they get a fear, mm. you know, am I writing it the right way? And I'm like, just have a conversation like you would with a person, you know, totally. it's no different. Just, you know, just, just talk to them like you're having a conversation mm. and they're like, really? Oh, you, you sure? And I'm like, yeah, just, you know, it, they're just the same as you, you know, everybody, it's a great equalizer, isn't it? it is. And I think, also, when you get around to publishing posts and your insights, people think, well, who am I to do that? And I'm like, well, you know, you've had 25 years in the industry, haven't you? Yes. And you know, you know this to be true because you've had success doing it. Yes. Do you think that other people would learn from this? Yes. I'm like, well, write it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think that really is the key thing because those people that do do that and overcome that fear and actually publish and press send are the people that you know, really realize that it's not that hard and they elevate themselves above their competitors because their competitors are, are still sitting there, you know, scared to death of doing it. So, you know, being able to put yourself out there and, and just really shine on your own is the number one way to get recognition. Mm. And the one thing that happened for me in LinkedIn when I started using it properly professionally a while back now, it's probably three, four years ago now, was I gathered momentum and once you start to gather a bit of momentum behind you, it becomes easier and easier and easier. 
and before you know it, it's just part of what you do on a daily basis. And it's um, it's a really good way to do business, meet new people, and and to build your influence, and certainly to build your personal brand as well. So yeah, totally, totally love love all of that. Well, you've got speaking of of brand, you've got this really awesome thing. If you are listening to this podcast or you're watching this video, if you're listening, first of all, just peek at your phone at the show notes to this phone and you'll see the link to Susie's website, but you also see a link to another website that is thebrandstrengthtest.com. So no need to go digging for it. It's right there in the show notes for this podcast. And if you're watching the video, just scroll down and you'll see it in the description there as well. Tell us a little bit about the brand strength test, Susie. Okay. So that was something I devised when I first started because most people, when you say, what is a personal brand, they actually have no idea. And so I created my sort of nine key criteria to building a personal brand. I sat down and sort of thought about all the aspects of building a brand about, you know, your energy and your presence and your image, of course, and your body language, your communications, your networks, how you connect with people. Also about how you can clearly articulate who you are in your pitch and your bio and and basically all of the components that I feel make up a personal brand and I put it into a series of questions and it's it's not a gimmick so it takes you a little bit of time to do so you know it kind of qualifies people who are really interested in knowing about their brand and where their current brand status is and it asks you questions and prompts you around certain areas to see if you're doing those things as a professional, you know, are you doing keynote speaking? Are you going to educational forums? Are you connecting regularly? And it asks a series of questions. I think there's about, well, I can't remember. There's, there's about 30 questions, I think. And by the end of it, you get a score in each of the key criteria around where your current brand strength test lies. And what it does is it gives people an indication of instead of going, oh, I've got to do all these things all at once. I've got to do all the nine things. <laughs> um, it, it, so you might you know, like score really well on one of them and go, okay, well, I'll put that over in the keeper. I'm actually doing really well on that count. How about I go over and start on this one that I didn't score so well in? It might be around your image and presence. How do I elevate that? What do I have to do to do that? So it gives you a, a place to start and to understand and give you clarity around your strengths and weaknesses so that you can then sort of put it, design a plan of, okay, I'm going to start on this today. I'm going to start connecting better with people because I scored really low on that. So I'm going to go on LinkedIn and start to connect. That'll be step one of what I'm going to do in my brand evolution. And I guess that's what I wanted to do is to give people really an insight into their own personal brand, as well as the full scope of their potential to really elevate their brand to the next level. Beautiful. And uh, if you like what you hear in there, please uh, just head over to brandstrengthtest.com and you can pick up your phone and just grab the link right there as well. So no digging required. Well, Susie, thank you so very much for coming on the Goalian podcast. I really enjoyed that. And thank you so much for sharing your story and, and giving us, uh, there was just value bomb after value bomb in there. It was like <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. I love it. You're very welcome. Thank you for inviting me. I had a great time. It was lovely to get to know you as well. Awesome. And if, if people want to connect with you, Susie, what's the best way through your website or through your LinkedIn? What's the best way? Either I am on LinkedIn and also through my website, there is a contact form there, but there's also, you can just email me directly. I answer my own email still. So I will answer you if you email me and yeah, we'll just go from there. Fantastic. And again, I'll make sure all the links are in the show notes. So just pick up your phone if you want to connect and the links are right there. Thanks again for coming on and we look forward to speaking with you soon. Bye for now. You're very welcome. Take care. Thank you.
Well, there you have it, folks. What a fantastic episode. Make sure you connect with Susie and get inside of her ecosystem. If you're listening on your phone, just take a peek at the show notes right there on your phone and all the links to her site and her socials are right there so you won't have to go digging around for them. And make sure as you're looking for those links and you see them, you hit the subscribe button. That way you'll never miss a go all in podcast and you'll always have some motivation and entertainment right at your fingertips and in your ears. And if you like what you heard today, I'd really appreciate a review as that helps out the show a whole boatload as well. Now, if you've got a question or a comment for the show, you can reach out via the Go All In socials. And if you want to send me an email, you can do that by visiting goallin.com.au to find out more. Well, that wraps it up for the show today. So whatever it is that you're doing, whatever you're working on, get busy, get to it and go all in. I'll see you next time. Leaving this place, the sun's about to break. You're riding shotgun. The feeling will chase. I'm wide awake. Take me away now. Don't you blame me Yeah, this feeling I've got's making me crazy Making me crazy So I'm just gonna drive, drive, drive